Chapter 7, Part 2 of The Greater Life and Work of Christ. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Greater Life and Work of Christ by Alexander Patterson. Christ in the Eternal Future, Part 2. There are some objections to this view which we should consider here. The first is the scripture which says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Paul is speaking here of unregenerate man and the necessity of a resurrection for the admittance of such into the kingdom of God. The persons we speak of are regenerate, and they are not corruption in any sense. The body of Adam was not corruption. It was in the kingdom of God also. The place in the kingdom to which Paul refers above, however, is that of sovereignty in the kingdom, which is not the place of the restored race. They are not rulers, but subjects. They are no doubt the millennial population which must, under the conditions of peace, plenty, health, and holiness, have assumed immense proportions. These are not after spoken of as either killed or translated. The vast population of earth did not all join the last apostasy, which we may feel sure. No account of their subsequent history is given us. All that were sinful were no doubt slain and joined the dead who appeared for judgment. But these others were not dead and doubtless passed over into the new earth as living. There seems at first something incongruous in the idea of there being a race of human beings living as now and increasing in the eternal ages. This comes partly from preconceived opinions as to the future state. There is nothing in Scripture forbidding the idea of material beings in the eternal ages. It is the leaven of heathenism in our Christianity which deprecates the material as inherently sinful and that true holiness can only be obtained by abstraction from all this and in a state of etherealism hereafter. A mystical state has come to be considered as the necessary condition for purity. Another reason comes from considering the fall as having consisted in, or having led to, the introduction of marital relations. This, we have seen, has no foundation in Scripture. Such relations and the propagation of the race were contemplated in the creation of man as the following Scripture states. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Here is express command before the fall for the propagation of the race. What was right and fitting in the original Eden is also fitting in the new earth. There was here contemplated the holy increase of the race of men and their gradual filling of the earth. There is another essential reason, however, why we must consider these to be earthly people. There is called for by the whole plan of God as we have seen it and by numerous passages, the idea of constant increase in the numbers of the people of Christ during the ages of eternity. The scriptures declare, of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. We cannot conceive of the work of God coming to a stand as to the number of his people, no matter what the extent of their original advancement might be. The whole law of God in nature and in grace is increase. We have followed this progress from the beginning, and seen not only advance in the character of the individuals and the manifestations of God's character and grace, but the spread of the work of God numerically among men. It is wholly irreconcilable with the apparent plan of divine action to suppose this increase will stop when the full victory of Christ over sin is gained. 
it leaves the great scheme of redemption narrowed to those gathered out of mankind who remained thereafter a fixed number christ could create new beings but these would not be the race which he purchased with his blood the same scriptures would speak of the perpetuity of the earth also speak of the continuance of the ordinances and people of the earth the covenant was made for perpetual generations the new earth is described in this state by bickersteff and easily we found each haunt to memory dear of pilgrim days each hill and valley for the flood of fire which wrapped the earth in its baptismal robe had purged not changed its lineaments as once the deluge of great waters overwhelmed all life except the cradled church but left creation's landmarks and the river beds coasting the land of shinar undisturbed the wastes of oceans only were no more nor wastes of sand nor aught of barrenness and yet the earth through all her vast expanse of golden plains and rich umbrageous hills already seemed too narrow for the growth of her great family so quick the virtue of her maker's law when once sin's crushing interdict was disannulled that primal law be fruitful multiply your joys replenish and subdue the earth there is diversity in the population of the new earth we read in the account of the descent of the new jerusalem to earth they shall be his peoples the plural in the form of the latter word is very significant not a single people but many families of peoples the same is also expressed by the plural form of the word nations there is governmental life in the new earth the scripture speaks of the kings of the earth this gives us the idea of self-government to some degree these kings are not the saints who occupy the higher relations to the earth but their own rulers in subordination to the rule of christ and his assistants there is diversity of gifts and place in the new earth there is no such idea in the scriptures as a common level of character or position or ability in the descriptions of the eternal state such ideas of leveling come from below and not from above a state of pure communism is impossible and impracticable anywhere the whole picture is that of an orderly kingdom having its capital city and reigning king with his immediate family and court and others who occupy positions of power and honor and still a greater number who assist in many ways and still larger numbers who have no special honors but have the privileges of the capital city and a vast number of subjects happy in being under such a king it is a wholly natural life and state altogether different from the unnatural and unscriptural idea of heaven which is a mixture of heathenism spiritualism poetry and rationalistic theology a great fact is brought to our attention by astronomy besides the elementary unity of the universe it has also an organized unity it is one in its whole construction and motion it is one vast mechanism we can understand this by beginning at the unit for us of the stellar universe our earth is the center of a system consisting of itself and a single satellite the moon this is a type of the whole existing universe as the latest conclusions of astronomy seem to indicate this earth system is itself related as a satellite to a greater orb the sun around which the earth revolves drawing its satellite with it but the sun is only a member of a greater system of which it is but a single sun of many others all revolving around a greater sun this whole sun system is it is believed also involved in a vast system of such sun systems all revolving about some distant center to us unknowable in the present state of knowledge we have every reason to believe that the whole existing universe of worlds 
however far it extends, is one great mechanism revolving about the throne of God, from whence they get the power we call gravity and other forces, and by which all is kept in being. This suggests a view as to the meaning of the expression, the new heavens, which are to accompany the new earth. We read of there being no longer need of the sun, and the inference is that this familiar orb is no longer present. The sun in scripture is associated with earthly beings. In Ecclesiastes, under the sun is holy the earthly view. The sun is the source of the calamities in two of the plagues poured upon the earth in judgment. It would be then fitting if earth were to be released from its grasp. We know this earth is not the center of the universe, but on the contrary, very far from it, in a corner of the universe, in fact, where stars are comparatively few and far between. Yet it is to be the site of the city and throne of God. John beholds the ladder coming down from heaven. The same effect would be produced if the earth was caught up to heaven. It would be seen then as if coming down from God. Will this be the case? Will this poor, little, sinful, dark earth itself be taken into the bosom of God? To be caught away from the scenes of its suffering and sin in a physical rapture would be following out of the spiritual method in the translation of the saints. There are cosmical reasons, too, which seem as if some such change would be required. It would give to the new earth the new heavens mentioned. This would make the scene of Calvary the center of the universe. No longer would any wonder at the small and distant earth as the sphere of such tremendous events. The center of the universe would be earth, the site of the throne of God. This would complete the work of Christ for earth as well as for man, to see every particle of the world he died upon, lifted up into the regions of eternal bliss, and given up to God forever, would complete redemption. The closing scene of the work and age of redemption is thus described. Then cometh the end, when he shall deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign, till he hath put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be abolished is death, for he put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he saith, All things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who did subject all things unto him. And when all things have been subjected unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subjected unto him, that God may be all in all. Christ ever acknowledged this relation of himself to God. The Father is greater than I. The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father doing. For what things soever he doeth, these the Son also doeth in like manner. All this is explained by the relationship of Father and Son. It is at once a position of equality and yet subordination. Equality in nature, subordination in action and office. There is given here by Christ the last and full and eternal example in his hour of complete triumph, of absolute submission to God over all. We have looked at great public scenes in the life of Christ, when he finished creation, when he relinquished primeval glory and stepped down into human life and was born into the world, when he hung on the cross and when he ascended and was received on high, when he came in wrath against the enemies of God and man, when he led his church to the throne of the majesty on high. But this final scene when he lays at the feet of the Father the complete results of the full work for man, heaven, and nature is the climax of his greatness. In taking his place at the feet of the Father, he leads all in earth and heaven to the same place of submission and blessing. But the submission of all things to the Father is not the cessation of his work. It is not enough even to satisfy our small minds that sin and its effects should be banished and all restored as at first to be even more beautiful and holy than in Eden. 
we think and desire to know and see more what after heaven is fully established how shall we spend eternity what will be the work of christ during the endless eons our knowledge of the past work of christ leads us to know that it will be an advance in extent and kind the climax of the work of god is not reached indeed we have reason to believe there can be no climax either in the work of god or in a christian's experience but where is the field for a greater work than saving a world what can be greater than redemption where will christ find a field for the display of the vast powers of his divine nature we are prepared for surprises in heaven and there will be many such there is some light possible to a thoughtful mind which will give itself to the consideration of this in a believing and desiring frame of mind scripture nature and christian reason help us to some hints we may be mistaken in our attempts to picture the future but we cannot exaggerate we are at liberty to think about the matters of the other world and urge to do so and to set our affections upon them in studying christ in the eternal past we consider two infinite conceptions one of these was the great fact of limitless space there is no possible or conceivable end or boundary to space we cannot think of a point no matter how remote where there is not further extension the science of astronomy tells us that wherever space extends there stars exist beyond our farthest point of observation these stars are worlds the fixed stars are suns like our own only most of them are far larger these suns are doubtless surrounded as ours is with planets like our earth the spectroscope shows the same elements to exist in the sun and stars as in our earth showing not only a common origin but a similar constitution and doubtless similar conditions the numbers of stars or suns identified and counted are far up in the hundreds of millions but these are only a fraction of those within range of our vision but so distant as to appear only as clouds single points have under more powerful glasses separated into clusters of stars and the clouds have proved to be universes Monsieur camille flammarion thus describes the view of the heavens let us imagine that we thus sail a million years with the velocity of light hundred eighty six thousand miles a second are we at the confines of the visible universe see the black immensities we must cross but yonder new stars are lit up in the depths of the heavens we push on toward them we reach them again a million years new revelations new starry splendors new universes new worlds new earths what never an end we are at the vestibule of the infinite we have advanced but a single step we are always at the same point the centre everywhere the circumference nowhere we see before us the infinite of which the study is not yet begun we have seen nothing we recoil in terror we might fall on a straight line during a whole eternity nor ever reach the bottom it is infinite in all directions all this is the work of christ and part of his great plan whatever it is we must believe in the unity of the divine plan we must believe in purpose in all this vast creation we must also believe that it is or is to be the scene of life it is true of every place on earth earth air and sea swarm with life so must that vast material universe in the coming ages if not now this is the plan of god as seen in all nature these stars however beautiful they may be to sight as a spectacle do not fulfil the demands of reasonable consideration as such the most of them are not seen by man at all and few more than dimly seen at best while it is true that many a flower blooms and fades unseen and many a gem lies unknown to man yet the worlds of the heavens are so great so many 
that knowing god as the god of design and life and purpose we are irresistibly led to feel these great and innumerable worlds are to be the scene of life and activity further the same arguments lead us to believe they must be intended as the spheres of intelligent life of beings who can enjoy all this and think and reason and glorify the creator of all here then is the field worthy of the powers of christ boundless space the scene of the work of christ and eternity the duration of his operation to fill these worlds with life and beauty to people them with living happy beings as the new earth is a work worthy of christ and which will be work for eternity for space and duration run on interminably together the prediction was of the increase of his government there shall be no end increase then is the work of christ and here is its sphere we ask what beings will inhabit these new worlds christ could create races for each as he did man for earth he could also repeat the work of redemption upon each but both of these suppositions seem incredible either as said before would be a break in the continuity of the divine plan it would be a departure from the plan as we have seen it unrolled before us in which each age grows out of the preceding and leads up to another and each advances upon a forecasted plan besides if other races were created sin might come to them and other and greater falls take place the whole outlook seems to comprehend extension of the work already commenced looking back to the beginning we conceive the plan of god to be the production of a race of beings of a character established in holiness whom he could trust under all circumstances and to whom he could commit the carrying out of his great designs we noted the repeated sowings and siftings by which such a race was produced the care to exclude all tares at the last great sifting we are irresistibly led to believe god has some great purpose in man aside from the peopling of this little world it has often been a source of wonder that god should choose so small a world as the scene of calvary that in a universe so vast the almighty god should pass by all those great worlds and come to this small distant and inferior earth and here display his power and personality as the story of the bible declares as a finality it is wholly inexplicable but as a means to some vast purpose we can understand it the purpose has been intimated the care in selecting the seed the time in preparation the place at the beginning of the eternal future all attest to the connection of earth with his great ultimate purpose earth is but a seed-bed from which god will people the heavens this purified race are to be the progenitors of worlds of such holy happy creatures if our view of the preservation of a human race from the last destruction of the world in their earthly bodies is correct some sphere for the accommodation of the increase of the race will be required in a thousand years they would so increase as to fill the earth far beyond the present most crowded parts from whatever point we view the future of the eternal age we are led to see that there must be increase and room for it we can see plainly the room for the spread of the increase and the increase itself and there seems to be no scriptural or reasonable objections to this indeed the scripture tells us plainly that church is to be but a kind of first fruits of his creatures if sin had not come to man some provision for the accommodation of the race in the certain event of their finally filling the earth would have been necessary and their removal to some other world would have been undoubtedly effected in short the plan here proposed as the possible design of god in the preparation of the universe seems to have been the plan from eternity one of god's great promises will be fulfilled literally by such a work in the universe as we have described the promise made to abraham was five times repeated the first giving was this i will make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man can number the dust of the earth then shall thy seed also be numbered again the promise was thus given and he brought him forth abroad and said look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to tell them and he said unto him so shall thy seed be 
It was his faith in this last which brought him salvation. It was again repeated, In blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the sand which is upon the seashore. God again repeats it near the end of his life, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. To Jacob the same promise is given, Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. Of this promise Jacob reminds God in his day of trouble. This applying to the seed of Jacob alone vastly increases the proportions of the promise. This was figuratively fulfilled in the age of Solomon, when, as the scripture says, the children of Israel were as the sand of the sea, and later when Paul tells us the same. But here in this eternal view is the literal fulfillment of the promise upon which the covenant to Abraham was based. It is not rhetoric. It is not hyperbole. It is actual certitude that if the worlds innumerable as astronomy tells us they are, should be peopled as the earth is, and will be in the time of blessedness, the actual number of the population of the universe would be as innumerable on any system of human computation as the sand of the sea or the dust of the earth. The mission of the church is indicated by the recurrence and use in composition of the number 12. It is typical of the completeness of God in man. It is the multiple of three, the number of divine personality, and four, the number everywhere indicating humanity and universal extension and completion. So the number of the tribes of Israel and of the apostles is twelve, and the foundations of the city and the gates are twelve, and the dimensions are measured by twelve. In the previous age, the number of perfection was seven, three added to four. God added to man, indicating the work upon the church as distinguished from the work with the church. In the eternal state, the progress of the church will be multiplied by the divine ratio. The open gates opening to all quarters indicate further the universal mission of the church in eternity. These directions, east, west, north, and south, are sidereal as well as geographical. They indicate universality as to other worlds as well as earth. We can conceive of the saints endowed with divine or angelic power of flight, going upon missions to distant worlds. We can believe their responsibilities will extend to these worlds. They will occupy relations of superiority as well as of love and mercy. Those who saw the age of sin and were combatants in that age and struggled and overcame will be to these worlds as veterans are to us. Their numbers cannot be added to, for the story of sin will never be repeated, we feel sure. Such will occupy a position unique among the myriads of the universe. They may become world rulers, well trained for the great responsibility by their lives of struggle. This view opens up a realm for vast possibilities of attainment as well as accomplishment. These thoughts will show us that eternity is not the vague and empty sphere some imagine, that the other life and world may be so full of histories of peoples, nations, worlds, and events as will make our earth story seem brief and small. So not only limitless extension, but endless variety are in the prospect. There will be the rise of problems for solution, emergences to meet, great designs to plan, conditions to provide for, to the three infinities, God, duration, and space. We must add another infinite possibilities. The work of the church in the eternal ages is thus described by Bickersteth. Ceaseless indeed are ministry and limitless, the increase of that government and peace, Messiah's heritage and ours, for as our native orb ere long too straight became, for its blessed habitants not only some, translated without death, for death was not, as Enoch joined the glorified in light. But at the voice of God, the stars which rolled, innumerous in the azure firmament, by thousands and ten thousands as he spake, six words of power, the seventh it was done, were mantled and prepared as seats of life, and it was ours to bear from earth and plant, like Adam in some paradise of fruits, 
the ancestors of many a newborn world like adam but far different issue now sin and the curse and death forever crushed and thus from planet on to planet spread the living light as when some white-robed priest himself surrounded by his acolytes in some vast minster from the altar fire lighting his torch walks through the slumbrous aisles and kindles one by one the brazen lamps that on the fluted columns cast a shade or from the frescoed ceiling hang suspense until the startled sanctuary is bathed in glory and the evening chant of praise floats in the radiance so it was in heaven god's temple the expected firmament hung with its lamps innumerable stars the priest messiah earth the altar flame angels and saints the winged messengers and the great choral eucharist the hymn of all creation's everlasting praise the nature of the perfected relationship of all things to each other and to god is intimated in this scripture for this cause i bow my knees unto the father from whom every fatherhood in heaven and earth is named the term fatherhood is descriptive of all relationships from that of the godhead down through all things every family is a reproduction of the godhead all its persons are represented there the family is made in the image of god it is a copy of the heavenly family this plan of organization is universal it is the divine plan for all this and all worlds we see the organization of all things on the paternal plan emperors kings presidents are but fathers in their office and should be in their action they are but successors of the patriarch who was but the tribe father the apostle intimates the heavenly hosts are arranged upon the same great divine plan of the family indeed we read of the heavenly eldership and we know of superior rulers among the angels still lower in the scale is the innumerable fatherhoods of nature all plants insects and animals are arranged in fatherhoods every parent bird or creature with its circle of dependent little ones is but a transcript of the great fatherhood over all the very inorganic things show the same arrangement the solar system is but a fatherhood of worlds the whole universe of material things is arranged upon the one plan the first reference of the apostle in this use of the term of fatherhood is to the church it is arranged on earth after the fashion of a family the church is still patriarchal the more closely the church conforms to the model of the family the more closely it conforms to the ideal form as well as state this arrangement of the church in fatherhoods is to continue in the eternal state we must not suppose the church to be in heaven one undivided unarranged mass it will have its subdivisions and lesser and greater parts there will be rule among the saints as well as by them there must be such order for the perfect state as well as for this present condition abraham is the head of such a fatherhood many of his seed will thus address him paul has such a position to us gentiles we are his spiritual children doubtless he will be considered worthy of headship over those who followed him as he did christ this is the relationship of the apostles declared by christ when he promised they should sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of israel the position is that of a fatherhood rather than that of mere authority of superior position so on down the line of the church we can see an orderly system established by the bonds of affectionate allegiance to those appointed in the wisdom of god to have the duties and position of the fatherhoods of the heavenly church these many fatherhoods are to be brought into perfect condition as to each other and into unity with the father over all the perfection of nature man and heaven is contemplated in the consummation of all things every fatherhood having been made complete in itself will then be made part of the one fatherhood it implies not only the authority of god over all 
but the right relation of all things to God. This is the work of Christ. To effect this, he came and died and lives and is coming again. This will be the effect of the whole work of redemption. The title Father expresses God's nature and rule and work as no other does. It was brought to us by Christ. It was the name for God constantly on the lips of Christ. It expressed not only his own relationship, but the ideal state he had in mind and for which he strove. It is all-inclusive of the attributes and offices of God. He is therein creator, preserver, ruler, and final judge. In the fatherhood of God, there will be established the perfect theocracy, God reigning absolutely and directly over all. The relationship is described in the preceding scriptures. The order is God the Father, Christ, the glorified saints arranged in closer or wider circles in the New Jerusalem, then the angelic hosts of many and varying offices, then the myriads of humanity and innumerable worlds of organic and inorganic nature, all permeated by the Spirit of God and living, moving, and having their being by the life of God through the Holy Spirit and directed by the will of God in perfect unison, every thought and act responsive to the mind of God. This is the goal of all things. It was in the mind of the apostle when he wrote that God may be all in all. To have a part in this infinity of existence, happiness, holiness, and achievement is the possibility, yea, the certainty, on divine conditions of this life we live. Eternity, as we have noted, consists of successive ages. If the belief of the Jewish church and of the ancient Christian church is right, the whole history of man is but a week of which the millennium is the Sabbath. A thousand years are with the Lord as one day. If this is the case, there may be some in the great weeks of eternity, the Sabbaths of universal rest and worship, when by some means, even now beginning to be understood by the mutual relation of light and sound, all the universe may come into one accord in great anthems of praise, and the music of the spheres be more than a figure of speech. God gave his ancient people the model social state and worship. The worship of Israel may yet be repeated on a universal scale. The yearly feasts may be but figures of the great feasts of eternity, when representatives of worlds will gather to the New Jerusalem to celebrate a Savior's dying love and reigning power and glory. There may be great years of rest, when even the bliss of eternity will be multiplied. There may come great jubilees in the eternal cycles, when even greater gifts shall be given, and perhaps myriads raised from lower to higher places of glory and power, and even millenniums of greater glory. Eternity is not one long, unbroken period, but it is arranged in ages or periods as the time we have known, and we may believe that they are distinguished by peculiarities as those we have known. We have seen in the succession of the ages of earth and man development. One age prepares for another, and this opens up into one still more advanced. One age is to another as seed to plant, and this to flower, and this to harvest. But harvest only means a new sowing and a still greater growing, and harvests unceasing. The same operation we have every reason to believe will continue. God's plan is one. Great ages will come and go. New purposes will dawn upon the universes. The resources of the Almighty are inexhaustible. There will be no climax with its inevitable retrogression. It will be progress ever upward, onward, nearer and still nearer to God, the infinite and eternal. We may now see what great things lay upon the heart of Christ as he came to earth and suffered and died. All eternity depended on the outcome of his conflict. The future of other worlds than ours hung in the balance. All the universe had an interest in the great conflict. Success or failure were universal in their sweep. 
we see also in this great view of the work of christ and its possibilities the meaning of the promise he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied it must be an infinite aim which shall satisfy the heart of christ but it will be satisfied when he sees the myriads of worlds filled with holy happy beings circling in perfect harmony about the throne of god each being growing in grace and by some system of spiritual promotion drawing nearer to the state of perfection of the risen saints perhaps attaining as a great prize that state as the reward of faithful effort instruction and development are part of the work of eternity the great part christ fills is that of the shepherd this will be as necessary in eternity as here his flock will have increased by many million fold all these will need to be fed spiritually and materially then will be fulfilled his prophecy there shall be one fold and one shepherd conclusion the subject of this book stands before two classes those who are the people of christ and those who are not to the first the message of the book is that all christ is described here he is to you this is your creator savior comforter intercessor judge king and eternal companion if you believe this act accordingly every motive of love gratitude or even self-interest bids you hasten to come to the decision to say for to me to live is christ to die is gain surely such gains are worth striving for it is your privilege to enter into the acceptance and possession of all this by full submission to the will of god and acceptance of god's purpose in all its fullness for you all things are yours whether paul or apollos or cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come all are yours and ye are christ's and christ is god's this book may be read by some who are not yet the people of god you have read this with some wonder perhaps incredulity perhaps with personal indifference be assured you may have a part in the blessings of the future you may have all that is promised to any one in the scripture the bible is given us for our sakes to save and bless us it is by its appeals we are persuaded to come to christ everything in scripture to the very highest attainment of perfection of character or glory is included in the attainment of the place spoken of as in christ within this sphere lie all the blessings of the christian for this life and that to come it is a matter first of place that is where you stand as to christ a relationship established when one takes christ as his personal savior and commits the keeping of himself for time and eternity to christ this is coming to christ it is generally a definite act and is best so that we may remember it and get comfort from the memory of the step have you come to christ so if not will you do so before you close this book by saying to yourself and god i will this moment take christ to be my lord and savior and begin to serve and follow him if you will heartily do so you may know by his own word in a thousand places he does then and there receive you and will keep you to refuse to do this is to refuse to come to christ and thereby refuse eternal life for he that believeth on the son hath eternal life but he that obeyeth not the son shall not see life but the wrath of god abideth on him here are the two issues there are no others the spirit and the bride say come end of chapter seven end of the greater life and work of christ by alexander patterson